Welcome to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Your hosts are freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield, plus videographer and host of the YouTube channel Craving Cars, Corey Pratt, and 35-year radio veteran, book publisher, and vehicular village idiot, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, car fans. Welcome to Driven Radio, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield, here with our engineer and co-host, Mr. Mark Groves. Yo! And Corey Pratt of Craving Cars on YouTube. That's me. That is you. We are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in beautiful, although a little rain-soaked, Overland yeah. Park, Kansas. Hey, Still feels nice. You need we'll take it. it. How are yep. you going to get that fertilizer to settle down in your lawn? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Truth. Need it. Spring. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I always want to forget it. Instagram. It's at Driven Radio Show. <laughs> you know, you, you have to load it from your phone. That's, yep. And I'm like, That's what irks me. Yep. Kiss my butt. Well, I just, and, and I appreciate it. I mean, and people figure out ways around it because they'll like they'll put they'll do all their artsy fartsy stuff, and then they'll load that to their phone. Yeah, and load that to Instagram. Well, like you're cheating. And I think there's a way now to load single images from oh, your really? computer on there. <gasps> uh, somebody said something to me about it. I don't know because I'm not tech savvy enough, nor do I care enough to really go try and find out. But if that is the case, that would be fantastic because I, I don't shoot pictures with my phone. Yeah. I shoot them with those really expensive cameras I drag around. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Elon Musk. Computer, then plug your phone in the computer. Go buy that company, too. Yeah, well. Yeah. If you'll go he's, buy the he's leading share. Did you see that today? Yeah, he Twitter. owns like 9.2% of Twitter, which makes him the single largest oh, shareholder. Oh, God, I hope he, yeah. I just, I just, I'm, I'm getty. I'm like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, he's already made lots of comments about how much he doesn't like the way Twitter operates. And <laughs> I, I don't know how much leverage that gives him, but I would think they oh. kind of have to listen. Oh, I would love it. <laughs> well, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show. And listen, everywhere fine podcasts are heard. If you like what you are hearing, leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to tell your gearhead friends. If there was something you would like to hear more of, or if you have an interesting story and wait until you hear about the interesting story I got yesterday in an email. Ooh. Absolutely. <laughs> if you've got an interesting story, tell us. Send your emails to brett at drivenradioshow.com. And to that end, I had a young gentleman contact me yesterday. He says he's an automotive specialist. He's got all kinds of cool things to talk about. He is legally blind. No. Legally blind. I am dying to talk to this kid. I want to know how he's doing what he's doing. Hmm. <laughs> I, I, am, I am intrigued. Well, there's a kid out there that drifts cars that doesn't have any arms. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that guy. So that's interesting. So legally blind might not, you know. At least you got four limbs, right? Hey, I mean, look at the way people drive in traffic these days. Legally blind doesn't seem like it'd be much of a stretch. <laughs> that would actually make more sense of why people drive where they do. Because hey, at least he ain't texting. Legally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> legally stupid. Absolutely. <laughs> What'd you do in cars this week, gentlemen's? You know, for the first time since I've owned my Porsche, I went to a Porsche Club event. You said you'd gone to one before. I went to a little show they did. Okay, but so not but not like is, a group cruise, like where they where it's a just a club event. I am a fresh Porsche Club member, of course I am. Well, of course you are, and, <laughs> and I've gotten thirty-seven emails from them inviting me to come out to everything. I'm like, you guys are going to say I'm a poser because all I got is a Cayenne. But uh, it's not true though, because when I joined up with them on last Saturday for their breakfast thing. There were a couple of Cayennes there. Oh, cool. Uh, if you want the respect, you know what you got to do. Hmm. Two, th two things. Yeah. Craigers and a dash plaque. Mm. Nailed I got, it. I got the plaque down. I Dude. got the Craigers ordered. I totally got you covered no, I there. I really That's all you. Craigers. Two things and you're in. I'm and you will roll up and the people at Porsche will go, damn. I think I'm going to dock you know, the pictures just to show Mark. The more weight really you Craigers. lose, the worse your ideas get. <laughs> <laughs> well, the folds are flattening up top. <laughs> and, and, and for our audience who cannot see uh, what's going on, Mark has lost a person. Uh, 41 pounds. That is a 
unbelievable progress. I'm so proud of yeah. you. I have and uneaten a first grader, and now I'm working on a whole cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it won't be too yeah, long. Yeah, you nice. don't have very far to go. Anyway, Porsche Club event. How was the Porsche Club event? It, it wasn't bad. Um, I didn't really – I kind of got there a little late at the breakfast. So I, I didn't realize I met up at 7 in the morning. Yeah, they do. <laughs> that's that's one of two reasons I didn't go. The other so, one was yeah. Rhonda had the Porsche. Uh, she went to see her mom last weekend, and she had the Porsche with her. And I'm thinking, okay, what of my fleet am I going to show up in? that would piss them off least. <laughs> and I, I really was contemplating showing up in Vlad. The, 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 <laughs> I, I'm a Porsche member. That would be interesting. Uh, yeah. Now, the real reason I was joining up with them uh, this day was because they were going on a cruise. So they went on a cruise all the way out to Lawrence and oh. um, yeah, got I to kind of hang that, out with man. some people. Got to see one of the brand new GT3s really? in person. Um, then someone showed up with the GT4. I'm like, ah, no, no RS. But then I realized nobody has the GT4 RS yet. Did here. you see the GT3 online? And I think it I, it was a Porsche dealer someplace in the Pacific Northwest, and they had the regular price, which was like two thirty something, mm-hmm. and then a one hundred fifty thousand dollar market adjustment. Bringing oh. the grand total close to four. I didn't, but because all the allocations had been sold out like almost immediately. Or burnt and I'm sunk. not surprised. <laughs> but I also heard that the Cayman GT4 RS, the new one that actually well, shared yeah. the same engine, is adding like a hundred thousand to their price tag. So oh that puts it at God. like a two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand. No, two fifty to two eighty for a Cayman. If you had it's gone badass Cayman, but it's still a Cayman. If you'd gone and if you had saved up all your money mm-hmm. to go buy one of these and you're like today's gonna be my big day and you showed up at the dealership and they had a six-figure add-on would you ever do another nickels worth of business there again ever i would go do you have any turbos all right <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i'm not buying that that's a two hundred thousand dollar add-on Oh my God! I I can't even imagine. I mean, that's what like three Corvettes. I will go to bring a trailer. Down. It's just ridiculous. Well, yeah, I'm thinking about getting one of those GT3s, and you show up, and they're tacking a buck fifty on, and then you look at, right? You know, you you look at a, a Corvette that's a year old and has you know four thousand miles on it, and is in colors you like, and is a quarter of the money. No, that's when you tell them you're like, oh, by the way, we're going to add one hundred and fifty thousand under this price tag, and you go, oh, uh, hi, McLaren. What yeah, do you got? yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, my, a real tough car. I, I just couldn't believe it, I'll man. Go get it blew my mind. Did you drag your bike out? Did you do anything? Or nah. have you just been working your butt off at this new job you have? Well, it was kind of funny last week because I said goodbye to radio and yeah. uh, went in on Wednesday, turned in my keys and my computer and all that, and you know, said goodbye to a building I've worked in for 17 years. But I drove my mom's car because I thought it'd be funny. Mm. Yeah, it was funny when that uh-huh. pulley burned right off of that son of a... Uh-huh. Yeah, it, uh, I, and even took the engineers. We went, uh, we were laughing nope. about the vehicle, took them for lunch, and then on the way back, it's like, that's a funky smell. Mm. What is that smell? It's that's not your perfume, mom's perfume. Wasn't. No. <laughs> uh, but there was another factor involved in this. It was one that would have made it difficult to hold the flashlight in your mouth, <laughs> which was... I, no clue. Your teefers? Oh God, yeah. And then I, uh, <laughs> I uh, got uh, dental surgery, so uh, slapped that in there along with the rest of it, and uh, got my mm. got uh, a couple of implants ready. They put the post in the jaw, mm-hmm. and then went back over once I figured out what was going on. Because luckily, the car was nice enough to spit the pulley up onto the uh, right underneath the front of the hood mm. on the edge. The whole pulley was just sitting there by its lonesome. Here, here's oh, what's oh. broken. That was and nice I'm like, of them. yeah, oh, okay. This is it. And it even, it was since it locked up, the way that the serpentine belt runs, it locked up, which was the perfect direction for unscrewing the bolt that, <laughs> that the thing is connected to. So it was bolt pulling all just sitting up there nice and pretty. I didn't have to buy a new bolt. The bolt was cleanly taken out of that you thing. You couldn't do that again if you did it a Oh, no, times. no. Next time it would just kick down into the fan, eat up the radiator, and then the serpentine belt. But everything was just sitting there. So I'm like, thank you, Ma. 
And, so is, uh, the, is the pulley actually okay? Just came undone, or is it? No, no, the pulley was toast. Oh, That's it why it came okay. undone. I got so I, I bought one like lickety split at Advanced Auto Parts, and even went through the uh, internet. So I got my fifteen percent discount. Thank you very much. And they had it right on the shelf. And sure. yeah, yeah. And I walked in, got it, drove up there uh, the, later that day, and uh, in the cold, I say it was so cold, but uh, uh, just bolted that bad boy back on. Had to force a serpentine belt on because this version of the three point six. And I know this is a boring story, but for me it was interesting. The 3.6 liter does not have a, a tension pulley. Mm-hmm. It just has the idler pulley there kind of in the middle of the, the motor. And then you just figure your ass <laughs> no, out from it, there. No, they, sh- they expect you to loosen up the alternator and then take yeah. a giant bar. And, and I was kind of like, nope. Wow. And so Mark, between cussing That's and brute force, got it back on there. And it runs so sweet now. So my concern was when I heard about all of this was that you were going to be stoned out of your gorge from <laughs> out in a parking lot trying to wrestle this pulley a new belt on. And that's why I immediately said, is there anything I can do oh, to bless help you? your heart. It just made cussing a bit odd. You pretty bitch. Yeah, none of them count. None yeah. of those count. Maybe the, the constant, the, the, the uncontrollable drool coming in your mouth helped I know, right. That's, that's how I slid the serpentine belt back on the pulley. <laughs> I'm so happy. But uh, I did that, got that done, got it home, and, cool. and the rest has been gravy. And now I'm at my new place learning as fast as I can, drinking from a fire hose about SEO. And uh, and blog writing and this and that and uh, my it's a head, cool. My oh. head is full. Can I stop, dude? I am so jam packed up there right now. <laughs> I am constipated with knowledge. You remember watching uh, what was it? The Stephen King movie, um, Dreamcatcher. Uh, Dreamcatcher. Yes. That's right. And <laughs> the little guy going on that one. The little guy in his head is walking. <laughs> Well, it was behind a, a cart full of Beatles lyrics, yeah. and he's dumping them in the fire to make room for new information coming in. I just when it, when you said your head was full, I picture that guy with that with that dolly. I kind of envisioned myself more as the dude that was crapping himself to death while the alien head exploded. I'm kind of like both of those characters all at once with the kind of hey, this is so awesome, and what the hell have I done? And, ah, wow, you paint a picture. I do. <laughs> I did almost nothing with cars this week, aside from. Holy cow. Oh. Aside from pestering our good friend Daryl, who's been uh, Daryl at Ossipic Automotive, I take everything there, who's been working on the 65, lots of progress has been made, the carb has been rebuilt, a valve job is happening, oh. the dash has been disassembled, oh the God. new ammeter is in, and the dash is back together, and a new control cable and the heater. I was about to say, and, did you get the heater core done while you were under there, just to be safe? Well, not heater core, it hasn't puked on me. Yet, Yet. <laughs> knock on Yet. knock on four mica, and uh, he's going to take a look at that rear leaf spring, oh, that yeah. transverse leaf spring. I think it's a little weak because the tires always look like they're pitched out a little at the bottom. So we're getting all that stuff done. Hopefully, it will be finished in time for me to throw a bag of crap in it and haul ass to the inaugural Backyard Four Hundred taking place April twenty second. In good old Indianapolis, Indiana, our friend Travis Bell, who's having a lunatic go-kart race in his backyard, he has paved. He's made runoff areas and turn-in areas. This looks like a for-real racetrack. You ought to see it. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be loads of stupid fun. And he's even said that I'm going to be in the DJ booth helping him. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, my God. Mr. Corey and his fine new conveyance, he might be going as well. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the urban assault van. Yeah. <laughs> going to bring that sucker I, with I gotta, It's I an gotta, RV. It's a royalty vehicle. It's a race. i got to bring a helicopter view. Yeah, you'll have one on that it, thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the EM-50. This is why Ukraine is faring so poorly. It's because Corey's got that Corey sucker here. Corey took it home and painted I, it I flat black. Know, I didn't know that Russia was paying attention. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting I knew the guy was a butthole, but dang. Well, after, the, uh, after the Felicity Ace shipping debacle, Corey's a little uh, slow to throw his... <laughs> His van on a boat and go anywhere with it. <laughs> can't can't say that I blame him. <laughs> meanwhile, uh, mean, meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice. In the news, Mercedes says affordable electric vehicles won't be here anytime soon. The, the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chicken! 
Man. What a surprise. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. The new DeLorean EV will be revealed during Monterey Car Week and a great article about friend of the show, Tom Cotter. In segment two, we'll be talking to auto journalist Andy Reid about being the best dressed auto journalist at the Gooding Amelia <laughs> Island auction. <laughs> Showing is showing at the Amelia Island Concours for the first time his new job, which goes with the other eight jobs he's got, and much more. Let's get to the news, gentlemen. From road and track, we're not even close to EVs being as cheap as gas cars. That's what Mercedes is saying. Uh, the electric vehicle industry has been a massive transformation, and over the last decade, in no small part thanks to reductions in the cost of lithium-ion battery packs, which is nice. However... There's still a significant initial cost penalty to a battery electric vehicle over an internal combustion car. According to Mercedes Chief Technology Officer, that's not going to go away anytime soon. In fact, the EVs may not get much cheaper at all over the next few years. Now, this is a quote from him. Coming to a battery price of 50 U.S. dollars per kilowatt, which would lead to comparable cost basis to an internal combustion engine, I would say this is far out there. Far out, man. This is far out there. You you will not get to it. You know, you just never can picture in your head is a German hippie. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. You you just smell the flowers now. Yeah. (laughs) You must take the surfboard. (laughs) The the reaching the so-called price parity, uh, Schaefer said, just isn't possible with any current commercially available battery technology. The kind of affordable high-density batteries required to make it possible either don't exist or only exist in tightly controlled lab settings. Uh, Even once we know which one will work, adapting it for the automotive industry with its high volumes and extremely challenging durability requirements will be a years-long process. Plus, we have to dig through the entire middle of Africa to get everything out of it. Suck it, greenies. (laughs) (laughs) Bless your pee-picking hearts. There you go. the Earth has more deposits of lithium, but bringing mines online is complicated and expensive. Really expensive. Plus, when they talk about being able to mining all the rare earth minerals, you kind of gloss over what that entails. First of all, how many different vehicles, pieces of equipment, how much labor, how much everything else do you have to have before you go scraping away layers of the Earth to find this stuff? Oh, uh, you know, that's just, it's a shovel-ready job, dude. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, we, we we have the people, just get them out there. Yeah, and, and, and shovels. And, and Dever- Democratic Republic of the Congo, those people are seven. <laughs> Can you Bless just their uh, hearts. sit back with like <laughs> a... Screw third grade, get to work! <laughs> sit back with like a, I don't know, like a flute or a fiddle or something, and then mice can just go, go do, get it for you and bring it back? Oh my God, I like that. Okay, I mean, is that not how they're doing it? <laughs> Our CEO is Cinderella. <laughs> wow, I I kind you know, of this isn't this isn't like a whole lot different than uh, than the history of automobiles because Henry Ford oh, Senior <laughs> actually was going to uh, make an EV car well before he ever made a combustion engine vehicle. And well, the problem is there, there was actually two reasons back then. One, the, the technology wasn't quite there good enough. But there wasn't no money in it because it was going to cost way too much yeah. to build yeah. compared to a combustion engine. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it's and, no different nowadays. And like we were talking about before we started recording, as far as an EV goes, the electric engine is a much, much simpler proposition than an internal combustion engine. Yeah, yeah. Until you get to the battery. Right. Yeah. There you go. And then you're kind of hosed. I'm yeah. telling you, we're going to go full metal Flintstone. I'm so glad I grew up learning how to ride horses. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll be electric too. <laughs> What's she run on? Oats. Yeah. <laughs> it's renewable. Trust I thought, me. I thought we were supposed to be at the Jetsons by now. <laughs> no, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> From Motor Authority, DeLorean EV teased, uh, revealed set for August 18th. Now, you know, I actually am kind of looking forward to this. I, so as much as I rag EVs. on EVs. Um, Did you pull up pictures of this? No, but if it's going to look kind of like a DeLorean, I'm cool. No, it's super what? pretty. It's super, it's going super to be, pretty. There, I think there, there's a bit of a retroness to it, but it's nothing like really a DeLorean. It's, 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 it's cur- DeLorean, if you made it now, DeLorean, it's very hot. you got to yes. look that up. Yes. I'm looking. So, some of uh, Brett's favorite subjects here, EVs. Um, Sons on of Monday, the new DeLorean Motor Company tweeted a teaser image of the upcoming electric coupe and announced a reveal will take place on August 18th at the awards ramp 
of the 2022 Pebble Beach Concours d'Elegance. Yes. With the prototype being displayed on the concept lawn on which, August 21st. Which is where they had that white singer a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. Yes, sir. Is it is it the one that's going to kind of look like a bad Malibu? Or is it the one with kind of the pointy front end, the DMC-12? Uh, the DMC-12 is the 1980s version. Because that's sexy AF. They have a new one that there has w- kind of a squarish front end, but it's got that grody-looking back end. Imagine a Pontiac no, no, Aztec no, no, no. that's been stepped on by the Jolly Green Giant. The very first picture, the dark one there that's over on uh, over on your left. Okay. See the see the gull wings? Yeah. Yep. Oh, gull wings. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So but so, it's in the it's dark. So, 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 well, like it's a teaser pick. It's not. Yeah. It's tease. That's what a teaser is. Hey. During no, a teaser is throwing a 50 and just getting a shoe back. <laughs> <laughs> tease me, tease me. Make it rain. I'm sorry. Oh, I keep going. Yeah, go. Oh, boy. It's all you. All righty. Uh, during the reveal of the prototype, the automaker will also announce the official name of the new DeLorean, and it will not be called the DMC-12. According to DeLorean Motor Company, Chief Marketing Officer Troy Beats. It'll design, uh, design the, and engineer the new DeLorean EV with a structural carbon fiber tub, that's cool. Yes, it is. Uh, powered oh, by wow. the off-the-shelf components, which we were also talking that before we started recording yes, about we were. companies that, that basically don't build the cars, but they build the pieces for them. Radio Shack is um, coming however, back. However, though, it might be off-the-shelf components, but they're talking about using custom software, so it's still going to be its own unique thing. The company I couldn't think of when we were talking before, Legacy EV. Legacy EV. We've so that's those, one of the companies had, that do that. Yeah. Uh, we've had those guys on the show before. Um, expect the new, the, uh, new DeLorean to cost somewhere between $150,000 uh, yeah. and $200,000. Yeah, with a $150,000 dealership. Which, would you buy that? Uh, that well, Deplorian. Ideally, they're talking about customer deliveries <laughs> beginning, possibly, uh, next year. Now, with that money, that's, that's, that's Porsche Taycan Turbo S money. Yeah, it is. So what would you go with? I don't the know. Corvette. <laughs> that's right by god the six now the only reason i say that because you know I'm, I'm i like corvettes but i'm like yeah but i did walk by oh god i don't know i think it was a 2022 uh near my new work yes we, we walked down to the coffee shop because we're right earth and uh <laughs> thank you homers by the way good good cup of joe but uh, uh, on the way there, there was this silver one sitting there. And I'm like, I got I to gotta go up and see this because I haven't been up close in person to one. Damn. Yeah. Oh, oh my. Oh, yeah. I wanted to get in that and get on that. Yes. Because uh, I know it's ridiculously And all the people who are with you are looking at you going, what's your problem? Oh, yeah. They're well, like, well, yeah, that's all right. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Would you? I'm 58 years old. <laughs> and this is, replaces Woodrow. You need to. Uh, <laughs> I love this car. You need to keep up to date then with Craving Cars on YouTube because they're going to be able to drive one around. That's the. Oh, dude. That was a limited edition, uh, only 1,000 made. Just of only, the C8. Only. R trim model. They're not. Very cool. It's not an actual. Like, Is that the, C8R, the charcoal the, with the yellow stripes? And that's the black one of them. Or you can get like the black. velocity yellow one. There was two different colors only with it. Cool. So, dude. Um, but I have access to. Um, okay. To, uh, I'm to down. Test that uh, against me, some other me, awesome cars. Me too. Uh, do I get a ride shotgun? Mm-hmm. Groovy. I'll and I'll ride in the back seat. Mm-hmm. You're almost mm-hmm. ten enough to now. <laughs> <laughs> no, the origami mark. The other two way. cars we're comparing to do have back seats though. Oh, I bet they do. Which yeah. is the 806 horsepower Super Stock and the 760 horsepower That's where GT you put 500. your Max Slim book, and that's mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. I'm down. Yeah, Just sit I'm good. I'll figure right. it out. Yep. Oh, that You'll back, have so much weight loss by then, you'd be good. That back cargo compartment is big enough for two bags of golf clubs, so you'd be fine. <laughs> I'm so lucky. <laughs> yes. From Sports Car Digest, there's an article called Tom Cotter's Road to Cobra, and what this really was was it's a lengthy article, but it's a good read. And it's a more in-depth look at Tom Cotter, whom we've also had on the show. Yeah, he's a good guy. And uh, a look into his love of cars uh, growing up when he was a kid, trying to make cars out of two-by-fours and bicycle wheels, and uh, how he bought his first cars before he could even drive and started trying to work on them. And kind of his evolution, his genesis, uh, his racing career, his auto journalist career, uh, he was, you know, the the founder and the, at the helm of uh, of his own company, um, the Cotter Group, and how he fell in love with Shelby Cobras, his search to find one. He finally buys one. It's in California. Tom lives on the East Coast. 
Think he had that shipped? <laughs> no. Uh, he and Peter Egan, famous auto journalist Peter Egan, drove that car uh, across the country and never put the top up. That's a long haul. Yeah. It's a haul, That's baby. how you do it right there. And in the article, he said, when we got back, we tried to put the top up just to see how it worked. And he said, it's good. we didn't need it because it disintegrated in our hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oopsies. <laughs> but anyway, it's a terrific article about Tom and the Cobra and so much cool stuff in there. Uh, the Woody Wagon that he restored that you see him driving on Haggerty's uh, yeah. barn mm-hmm. find. Hunter and just it's a really great article and we'll have the link on readthedriven.com go check it out it's it's well worth the time it's yeah. well worth a read uh, you need to take a look at that it's just a great story all the way through our special guest this week is auto journalist Andy Reed he'll be here to talk about being the best dressed auto journalist at the Gooding Amelia auction uh, showing uh, a car for the first time at the Amelia Island Concours, and his new job, along with the other 19 jobs he has. Nice. All that and much more is coming up next on Driven Radio. Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio World Headquarters. That always sounds so overblown, but oh, I love it's it. so nice. It's true. World Headquarters in beautiful Overland Park, Kansas. Our special guest this week is auto journalist Andy Reed. Andy has written for Grassroots, Grassroots Motorsports, Racer, Vintage Motorsport Magazine, Jaguar World, Haggerty Online, Classic Motorsports Magazine, and he currently writes for ClassicCars.com, Magneto, and Tazio Magazines. He is a licensed independent collector car insurance specialist and all-around fun guy. Andy, welcome back to Driven Radio. Thanks, I think. <laughs> yeah 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 i've been waiting for this a few weeks back we had your buddy john sacamino on and john and i gave you hell about wearing a tweed shooting jacket at gooding amelia island now in our defense or at least in my defense you were the best dressed auto journalist in the room so i'll give you that but in spite of all the crap we gave you uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity to come in and defend yourself and your sartorial taste. Uh, I heard it was double-breasted and plaid. It wasn't double-breasted, but it was tweed. <laughs> now, I'll give you the rundown. It was pants by Turnbull and Asser, shoes by Todd's, a shirt by Brooks Brothers, no, a shirt by Thomas Pink, and a Burberry tweed jacket. So, washed by Breitling. Um, I mean, I, I tend to like nice stuff. And uh, the reason I do is that when I went into the auction world in 01, the first, in, as, a, as a journalist, I, I had driven my Daytona from where the heck, uh, Virginia, where we lived, to Monterey. And I show up at the Bottoms thing, my first auction outside of Batter Jackson I'd ever been to, to be an auction reporter, as a reporter. And I show up there and ran into Mark Osborne. I know you know Mark. I don't know if you know Mark at yeah. Bombas. Well, you know he looks like he is. He's a guy that went to British public school. The whole thing, uh, big old famous family and things. And I'm like, I want to dress like that guy. And so I made it my point to uh, dress like that guy. Um, there's a reason that all my clothes are pretty much British because I thought that's a really good look. I want to. I aspire to appear and present like that i don't want i want to be the the guy that looks very comfortable in very nice clothes and uh and maybe three people will pay attention but the three people that pay attention are the ones that you go oh wow those three people paid it those people those three people know what's going on you look very nice but my first thought was it's 82 degrees in this tent god he's got to be hot no it wasn't because we got we'd start out in the morning and messing with the the stupid alpha right and it was cold (laughs) And that's why I had the thing on because it was we're in the Ritz Carlton garage, and making the cars finally start, and it was cold in there, uh, <laughs> and so I didn't. We went from right there from the garage literally to Gooding from the Ritz, and on the uh, we we jumped in the car and blew over. So, and it was still chilly in the shade there. It was chilly in the shade all weekend. I thought until Sunday when it wasn't chilly anyplace. No, it wasn't. 
you were showing a car, you know, speaking of the Alpha, uh, you were showing a car at the Amelia Island Concours for the first time. What was the car, and what was it like to be on the other side of the judging clipboard? It was interesting. Uh, it was a 1939 Alfa Romeo 6C2500 Touring Sport Touring by Berlinetta. Berlinetta by Touring, excuse me. And car one of five. And that's why it has the slats in the rear spats is that they were, were the only one that's supposed to have the slats in those spats is car one because it's a clone of the 8C Berlinetta by Touring that won Pebble a couple of years ago. It's the, it's the 7 8 scale version of that one, basically. And it's owned by the main Classic Car Museum, which is where I am right now doing some, I'm, I'm now their collections manager as well as all the other crazy stuff I do. So I'm up here doing some collections management. We're getting, we're moving some cars around and doing some changes and cataloging and all this. But uh, being behind the car as opposed to the clipboard or in front of the car as opposed to behind a clipboard was fascinating. And I've shown cars at other con, other things like Hilton Head, you know, let lower level car, lower level cars at lower level concours that were my own cars. You know, I showed up my Daytona at Concorso Italiano and that's more like fun. I never expected to win anything and didn't. But uh, it was incredibly stressful. I, I called my friend Peter Gleason, who's a collector up in Seattle with a bunch of BMWs. And uh, he's got two BMW M cars, actually, at the new M exhibit that's going on at Classic Car, BMW Car Club Foundation that opens next month. And I said, so what's it like? You know, what do I need to expect? He's like, well, first of all, be formal with your judges, even if you know them and you're going to know them. And I went, because you judge too much. And I said, okay. And he goes, second of all, try to relax and you're never going to be able to. And make sure you eat something for breakfast. And, <laughs> okay. and he goes, and just tell the story of the car and, and try to do your best to relax. And, you know, it was just, it was, I, I was really, people, you know, I'm sitting there with this car. It's a big car. Everyone knows I brought this car out. So before judging, everybody's going, hey, well, it's a great car. And I have no idea what anybody said to me that whole time. <laughs> uh, what I remember is, as far as before judging started, was Alan... Uh, Galbraith from Lemons came over because I talked to him. I said, hey, I might need some help with the car because I'm by myself in the morning. No one's going to be there. I need to get the car wiped down. And it's this giant black car. And it's going to be a nightmare. He said, I'll totally be there. I said, cool. Um, uh, I look forward to seeing you. So I show up at, at like 6, 530 or whatever. And because uh, we parked the night before and put covers on the car. But even though we put a cloth cover on the car and two plastic covers, there was still dew all over the car. There's no way to avoid it. Yeah. And uh so I've gotten there with bundled with like a hundred Grios microfibers and quick detail and stuff. And he shows up and we're doing the car. And that's the, like, that's what I remember until judging is that, is that whole talking to him in the morning. Cause it was relaxed. No one was there. We ate the world's, uh, the donuts this year. Did you eat one of those things? No, sir. I didn't. World's worst donuts. I swear to God. <laughs> and so, and that's what I had for breakfast, so I failed at Peter's breakfast thing, but I put something in my stomach and way too much caffeine because I probably, they, the donut was a one time, but the coffee truck was like, they kept on coming by and I just kept on drinking it. Mm -hmm. um, and, but it's funny. So I'm there and I'm nervous and I'm thinking, okay, what do I know? Do I know my stuff? I got details on the car the night before that I needed to have, which came from Manny Dragone from Dragone Classics in, um, in Connecticut, mm -hmm. you know, big collector, awesome guy. Been in, the, been in the business forever. And he gave me this pictures of the car and period that I needed that were like a lifesaver. And so I'm going over my presentation and go over my presentation. I did it. I, people always do, book, do books a lot and I hate them because whenever I see a book, when I'm a judge, I'm like, oh no. Because you got like eight minutes of car when you're judging. And I know, I know the other side of it. So I know how much time they've got. I thought, why don't I just throw the thing on a dang iPad? No one does this. I wonder why they don't. And have the pertinent points and bullet points with photographs to back it up, everything I want to say. And that's what I did. And so I'm going through my presentation, going through my presentation. I think I've got it all memorized. Uh, it's all my research that I did. And, and I go there and Ed Welburn and Dr. Peter Larson show up with uh, uh, Ken Gross. And I go, Mr. Welburn, Mr. Gross. And, and I was just dead nervous. And Ed looks at me and smiles. He goes, Andy. It's Ed. <laughs> I was about this beautiful car. And it totally set me, it totally relied. That comment to me as a friend 
that deformalized the whole situation, made it so easy for me to talk about that car. Because before that, I was like, what am I forgetting? What am I forgetting? What am I forgetting? What am I not going to say? What am I going to say? What do I need to not tell them? What do I need to tell them? And uh, from then on, uh, I was able to do it. And I didn't know Larson. I know who he is because he's a big deal. I'd not really spent any time with him. But he's he's a world expert on pre-war classic coach built cars. And he asked me some questions about the car, specific details. And they were all details I could back up with photographs that he had sent me the night before. And everything he looked at were the things I changed on the car. Oh. And I'm thinking, oh, goodness, I did it right. Uh, and, the, and I didn't expect it with a thing because we had two Dallahays, two Coach Bill Rolls Royce, that ridiculous DuPont that was supposed to be in another class that ended up in our class. The, the DuPonts have owned its whole life. So I know from being a judge, I'm thinking the DuPonts first. There's no way. You can't beat that story. And why is this car not in Coach Bill American? And what happened to the Coach Bill American? We were supposed to be in Coach Bill European. But I'm like, who cares? And I didn't expect to win anything because uh, our car was restored by Touring in 12 oh and finished in 13 so it's an older restoration now touring built the car and restored the car <clears throat> so it was pretty righteous the things that weren't righteous were things i fixed they were mechanical things not cosmetic things uh but then we ended up with an amelia award and also a spirit of the millimilia award from uh from the millimilia people and that was well more than i expected because I, I, my thing is when you go to a concours, and I tell people this all the time, if you get on the field at a concours like Amelia or Pebble, you've already won just by being on the field. Yeah. It's too hard. You know, it's like 20% of the people that apply get on the field. And just by being on the field, I felt like we won. But winning an award was astounding. Um, it was remarkable. It's a, uh, it sounds like an extraordinary first outing. Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. I, I mean, the thing is, and I was so, part of the reason I was nervous is, so Saturday night, I'm walking out of the gala thing. I'm talking to, I ran into Bill Warner and we're talking. He's like, I heard what you're bringing. I said, yeah. He's like, well, you sure go big, son. Climb <laughs> <laughs> on the field. And I'm thinking, oh, dear God, what have I done? And uh, I'm like, well, thanks, Bill, I think. And I wandered off and hung out with Ralph Giles all night. Uh uh, what was wonderful is it wasn't daylight savings time this year, so we got to stay up to one o'clock in the morning and not be completely wrecked the next day. <laughs> uh, as you know, you're up, I was up at five or four forty-five. Uh, that is not a very long night. Hey, speaking of Bill Warner, how did he seem this year? The first year not having to run stinking everything. Relaxed, <laughs> <laughs> happy. Did it- not running anywhere, just kind of going and talking to people and holding court as it were he seemed uh, like he was having a good time i think so yeah cool good uh, now the, the coolest thing about the concord and this is what the, <clears throat> if you have a handler on your car or you don't drive your own car or you aren't there and are involved one of the most the concord experience was great winning the award was great which just gravy though the whole experience was just fascinating and really really phenomenal i did a did a five thousand word story on it but the coolest thing I didn't know about, and I'm a journalist, so I've covered this, but I only cover certain parts of the, you know, whenever you're a journalist, yeah. you know, well, I have this class, this class, that class, and best of show, or I have this and that and that. You don't get to cover the whole thing. And with it's too big. So when you're driving off, we drove in through the golf cart path in the, in the up, you know, basically out back. Mm-hmm. And we didn't go through the front entrance on the main road because it's always clogged up with traffic and a, mis- a nightmare. And I'm like, I don't want to cook the motor. And no, let's just not do that. So I went out through the golf cart path and I, I told Alan, he goes, Hey, can we drive out together? Can I, can I ride in the morning? I was like, you know, I said, I actually said, Hey, would you want to ride out after the concord? And he's like, yeah. I said, well, meet me here at 415. We'll get, we'll get out of here after we load the car up with all the junk, you know, sh- chairs and junk and all that stuff. So we load all the junk in the car. We jump in the car and he puts a, uh, he goes, can I put a camera on the car? I said, I don't care what you do as long as you don't hurt the car because it's already been judged. You can't, I don't care what the finish is anymore. It's going on a truck. <laughs> yeah. So we get out there. We rolled the golf power path. We make a left coming out of there to go down the back road to the pickup area with the passport and everybody else. And the, the road is lined with people. And like, not like 10, like hundreds of people are lining the whole road on the way out on that back road, taking pictures and cheering and stuff. And I was, and Alan and I, as you can, as you know, cause you know, Alan, we're not at a loss for words often. No. Right? 
No. And we looked at each other and we're like, holy crap. I can't believe, I didn't never knew this happened, that this was a thing. And then we didn't say a word because we're basically just choked up because it's so <laughs> cool. People are here to see you and celebrate your thing at the end of the day and we're waving out, they're waving at us and we're waving out the window and, and revving the engine so they can hear it because it sounds glorious. Uh, and it was just the coolest final. It was like the perfect cap on this amazing weekend without its, with, it wasn't without its peril and nightmare. I mean, when the car got there on Wednesday, on Wednesday, it didn't run. Oh, no, no. So Johnny Sackadonuts and I spent two days at the Ritz-Carlton garage. <laughs> now, we get it off the trailer. But it was a perfect cap for the weekend. But so we get out the get us out the trailer. We get I get there Wednesday because I know the deal. I'm staying at the Ritz, and so I know I can park underneath. And I know getting there Wednesday, we can have our driver drop it off in front because we've only got a single car hauler. So he pulls up in front. I get in the car to fire it up, and it won't fire. I'm like, it, it'll it'll crank, but it won't fire. I'm like, oh geez. So we try and try and try, and nothing happens. So the valets all came up and pushed our car in. To the garage for us in the first first slot in the in the Ritz Carlton underground. You go through that little gate thing, and they pushed us right back there. And so we were right there. And so that's where we were for Wednesday and Thursday, the whole rest of the days. We what we did is we found that there was a hidden fuel pump switch for the auxiliary okay. underneath the dash, which you couldn't have found if you, you couldn't see it. And then we, we we after you know checking spark and fuel and all this stuff, John's like the fuel filter's empty. And I called my friend Lars, who's a big hot rod guy, and I said, hey, you know, got this problem. He goes, they say the fuel pump kicks on the key. They go, they lied. They never kick on the key. There's a, there's a switch. And then they bury it, and they put it in the stupidest place you could ever put one. And lo and behold, I started to look, and there it was. And then we got it to go, which was great. But, you know, we went to the auto parts store four times because it uses a 7 spark plug wrench, which is not a normal spark plug wrench. Yeah. War car. So I got a, we got a set of spark plug sockets. And they're all wrong. So we had to go back to the damn AutoZone. We were the first ones at AutoZone on Wednesday. When I got there on, thir- on, on, on Wednesday, on Thursday morning, we went back for like the third run. There was a line of people with cars in Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all at Amelia Island together buying weird stuff. Um, <laughs> well, you weren't but, alone. <laughs> no, exactly. But it was really, we borrowed a tester from the guys at Mann's Restoration from Jason Mann's over there out of Missouri. And he's fantastic. And they do some great work. Uh, he got a win as well, but it was interesting. It was really cool to hang out with the entrance too, uh, and in the entrance area, and, and just just you know hanging out with people I've judged a lot of times, and I'm kind of now on the in the same spot as them, and it was really neat. And to that end, you have judged a lot of times, but being on the other side. How did you prepare for this uh, mentally, physically? Uh, what did you bring with you? What did you think you were going to need? All of that good stuff. And this second part, what was surprising about this? What was unexpected? Well, what was unexpected is the amount of help I got along the way. When I got the oh, car, cool. I knew it was built in, I, I knew it started construction in 1938 and was finished in 1939. And I knew that it was sold by John Cruz to our owner, Miles, in 2018 or nine, I guess 19. And the rest was a little bit murky and not very known. What I was able to do is get on the phone and call people that I knew in the hobby that led me to other people in the hobby that led me to other people in the hobby to build the story on what, what this car actually did. And I was able to come up with that story. And that took, I figured I would spend about, you know, 40 or 50 hours on research. Huh, no, I spent about uh, about 50 hours on the phone. And <laughs> literally, literally, I was logging hours just to check it out and see what it would take. And I had to have 50 to 100 hours on the phone. I, I know I had 50. Uh, and then I probably had a, a total of about 150 hours in research, just research. And I also needed parts because the cam cover nuts and bolts were all wrong. And the plug wires were wrong and the tires were wrong and other hardware on the engine was wrong. So I had to figure out where to go. And I went to Jim Stokes workshops in England and they have all that stuff. And Duncan at Jim Stokes was, Duncan Lawler was just, I go, here's where I am. Because you have pictures. I go, here they are. He goes, I know this is wrong. What do I need guaranteed? What is the right finish? 
here, I see these two. He's like, well, it's a 39, so it needs this, and it needs these nuts, and we need 60 nuts from this era. And the level of knowledge over there, I mean, everybody was really helpful. Uh, I found tires of Coker Tire that weren't on their website, but I went to the Coker Tire booth in January at Barrett, when I was at Barrett on Sunday before everything started. I said, what are the chances you've got uh, five, you know, 600 by 650 Michelin 18s? And they said, they're not on the website. They go, let me check. And they had them oh. for a really nice price, which nice. was a huge, because it had Excelsior radial, radials on it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things I know as a judge is when you're, the first thing we do as judges when we're doing a class is walk the whole class. And what you're looking for is all the things that make you knock the car out from the running immediately. And those are things like the wrong tires. <laughs> <laughs> then you, what you do when you see the wrong tires, you start digging. Right. Yeah. When you see wrong things that are obviously wrong or just not, they're not wrong, but they're not right for the car. Right. Michelin's or Dunlop bias fly tires are the proper tires, not Excelsior radials, even though they're the right size, they're the wrong tire. Yeah. You put a hundred dollar tires in your car and that's worth 2 million bucks. <laughs> so my first job was to avoid all, I knew going in that I needed to take all those things that in the initial walk around would ding me points and make them go away. And the finish when we got the car was okay, but not perfect. So I hired Tim McNair from GP Concord. And Tim McNair is the best in the business. No one preps a car better than Tim. And I told the owner, I said, we're going to need to hire Tim McNair. He said, what is it going to cost? I said, it's going to be expensive. He goes, okay, why do I want to do this? I go, because Tim McNair will raise the car to another level. And Tim McNair took it from a two minus to a one minus. Wow. And that's impressive. That's and really other, impressive. And people say, well, he's a detailer. I'm like, no, 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 no. Tim did the buff and cut on the paint, of course. He did the interior. He did the touch-up on the different parts of the paint. There's a alloy strip that runs down the side of the car on each side. It goes from the front of the hood all the way to the back to the, to the rear windows. And there's a – it's – a polished alloy, but it's got a black stripe down the middle. Mm -hmm. Only a lot of the black was gone. So Tim meticulously, with a very thin, thin brush, filled in the stripe, and and did lots of many, you know, other things. Painted the brake drums. Uh, I mean, to call him a, con a detailer is just a disservice. He pre prepares the car to do as well as it can at a Concord. I knew he could do it. He's done it to me for me before. I knew he was the right choice, and he literally he made it turn into a totally different car nice so that's he incredible way you know people people like peter gleason that when i was nervous on tuesday night at 11 o'clock at night when i was at my airport ready uh, hotel ready to fly out to amelia i call him up at like nine o'clock at night his time i'm like i'm freaking out and he's like hey let's just have a conversation about this and people my friends in the hobby were really tremendously supportive very cool friends along the way which is really neat, which is the best, you know, again, I always say the hobby, the best part about it is the people you meet. And the oh, yeah, you meet. absolutely. The cars are just a catalyst for that because the, the cars are great, but it's, it's the friends you have in it that make it so special. Uh, so. You know, Keith Martin's fond of saying that uh, collector cars are the magnet that brings great people together. And yep. I, I think he's absolutely dead on on that. One of the most fun things uh, or, or, neatest things i've found about being a journalist and, and and working for keith and going to all the the auctions and events and everything is all the people i've met the people you meet are incredible we've got such great people in this hobby and i i'm just i think that's the best part of it Agreed. all righty amelia island and more recently uh meekum's glendale arizona sale they continue to show a, a robustness in the market that I, I I'm blown away by. I think it's it's tough to believe for everybody. How long can things stay hot? We've had several years in a row of everything just being smoking hot. Well, we have inflation, right? So that's a that's a that's a mitigating factor for sure mm -hmm. because people are buying tangible physical assets. We have a lot of people that have made a lot of money in the last couple of years. A lot of younger, newer collectors going in. Uh, and don't don't do not discount the online auctions, which are doing gangbusters. Yeah, they uh, are. Bring a for one for sure. Randy and the gang, Randy and Howard, and those guys who just 
knocked it out of the park. Um, but they're not alone. Uh, ClassicCars.com Auto Hunter sells more and more and more cars. One of the things I saw in Arizona is they sold an XJ6, just an 87 XJ6, for like $37,000. What? I, I go that car with, and it was just, it was a really nice original car with like 74,000 miles, thinking, but that's a $12,000 Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> if it's clean. But they're not anymore. And oh, what's no. interesting, my friend Nick Smith, who used to work at Bonham's, I uh, started a thing called Classic Avenue about a year ago, and he just launched auctions about three weeks ago. And he's at around a forty-five, and he's had two auctions. He does them one week, he does the thing, and then they're and then another week, a week gap, and then he does another week of auctions. He has like a week of preview, and then he puts them up, launches, let, makes the auctions live for a week. And he sold forty-eight percent in his second week of motorcycles. He's primarily does yeah. classic motorcycles. Wow. And sold some very serious motorcycles for some very serious money both weeks. And what's interesting is he hit his own database because he used to work for Bonham. So he's got a big database of friends and client primer, prior, uh, prior clients and things. And some of those people bought it. But more than 50% of his buyers, he has no idea who they were. Wow. That's wow. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And when he's hmm. talking to me about it, it's like, you know, you had a great sell through, but how many people were new? He goes, more than 50%. I said, that's wow. astounding. Wow. That really is. That is no, remarkable. No advertising. I threw it on Facebook. He threw it on his Facebook. Word of mouth. What's the thing? Or uh, Pick three. What are three cars in the market that have gone through the roof that have been surprising to you? Aside from an 86 XJS. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I've had a whole crap ton of Porsches, right? tons and a bunch of 911s and of all the 911s I've owned which is from uh, 1967 all the way through uh, early uh, 1996 the one I like the least is the 993 and I know Porsche guys love the 993 but they're miserable to work on they're a horrible nightmare to, if you want to pull the motor on a 993 you had to drop the whole rear suspension out of the car and I just don't think that they're that good looking compared to a G body car or a long hood car. And no. people are like, oh, they're beautiful. I'm like, yeah, I don't. I never thought they were. I think a 997 is a much prettier car than a 993. Um, I will agree with you, actually. Isn't that interesting? And, and the, the, the nine, and 997s are free, or in comparison, and they, and they offer tremendously more performance, and the mm -hmm. AC works, and yep. things like that. It's also <laughs> a comfortable interior. The 993's got that stupid under dash. Don't don't you know pad for your legs that's in the way it's got the ugliest steering wheel ever put on that porsche that four spoke <laughs> it's uh, terrible <laughs> and it loses its charm that the three spoke wheel that they had and the g bodies had and they're they're bananas money the, what, the biggest example is those ones those 993s at gooding they oh, were yeah. all really nice cars they were yeah. but they were driver level cars they weren't show cars and they sold for concord car love money yeah and but they're not that good a car, you know. I mean, they're a good driving car, but I never have understood the 993 deification that has happened by the air cool guys, and it, it it baffles me. While we're talking about gooding Porsches, and that was a Porsche heavy sale, that was mostly Porsche. Maybe you can explain to me why that Riviera Blue 968 sold for north of 120 grand. Because this Riviera Blue had low miles, and uh, it's, the miles it's, weren't that low. It had like forty or fifty some odd thousand miles. It wasn't that low. Have you driven one of those things? No, no. You got to get in one. Um, and this is my problem. My other problem with nine nine threes. What was nine? It was nine sixty four, nine sixty eight. Nine six eight. Yeah, nine sixty eight. Nine. So transaxle car. Um, the nine sixty eight is in every way a better driving car and just about as fast, if not as fast, as a 993. It's the final iteration of the 944, which wasn't a terrible mm -hmm. car in itself, which is a great car, totally mm -hmm. underrated car. No, I'm, I'm a huge 944 fan. Mm -hmm. And you but, love a 968 because it's got 100 more horsepower. But I, I couldn't justify, I, I know it's rare color. It was one of, what, six or one of eight? And it was an originally Japanese market car that had come here, but it was still a left-hand drive and hadn't been federalized. 
I get that there, there's a number of factors that come into play, but I could not understand a buck twenty-five for that. Well, I can't either, but people love Smurf Blue, right? I mean, they really <laughs> like color. Um, uh, and that, that color is really, it's not polarizing. All those all those jelly bean colors are huge. And yeah. that was 100% color and being at Gooding at Amelia. Uh, I know. It was one of the cars that I wrote up for uh, for Sports Car Market. And even in my review, I said, I don't get it. Well, you know, it's probably 30 or 40 Gs more than the Haggerty Price Guide calls the number one car, right? I mean... It was fully 30 and change, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a lot. Um, people are making some really interesting decisions on this kind of stuff uh, based on some really strange parameters that I quite don't quite understand. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, again, I really like those cars. Uh, what the interesting about those cars is you look at the body gaps in those things, they suck, right? Because yes. those Olympics cars were not as well made as the ones Audi made for the 944. They, the, Audis, the, the quality of construction and, and precision of the Audi built, because Audi built all the 944s until then, yeah. uh, and the 924s as well, the, they were like laser perfect. But they go, they're wobbly a little bit on the, they're not, they're not, they're not precise. And that's probably because Porsche didn't have any money in, you know, in the late 90s. They were, you know, they were in very serious straits. Well, I couldn't figure it. It was a uh, 2-2 minus car at best. And granted, it was Riviera blue. It was Smurf blue. It had a cloth interior. Uh, it was just odd. It was odd. And I couldn't believe, I think final sale, I think that thing hammered at a, at a buck 23 or thereabouts. And I just couldn't figure it out for the life of me. And, and it, I like blue cars. I got a couple. Yeah. But. It makes no sense because you can buy a 930 for the same money. Yeah, yeah. And a 930 is, I mean, and, and a 930 is a, is, you know, is, is, a, is a Porsche roller coaster, especially a four-speed car, because that four, they're just ridiculous how they kind of, there's nothing, nothing, then you have a nine pounds of boost right now. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's Hammer like, to the back, hammer to the back. <laughs> yeah, it's like a hammer to the back. It's like a five-pound sled to the back of the head. You're like, whoa, holy crap, you know, and they're, and then you, and you're, you're, you're at 61 miles an hour or 58 miles an hour in first gear, and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> and, um, and then you go to second gear, and you're like, 103. And you're like, what? And that's you why know? it doesn't have a five-speed. <laughs> it doesn't need it. <laughs> and the five-speeds aren't as much fun. But I, me, myself, I think it was a terrible buy. I mean, sorry, David. You know, you were well sold. Um, but I, I wouldn't have put my money on that. Uh, the funny thing is, if I was insuring that thing uh, – I would be able to insure it for that amount, right? Because he's got a bill of sale that said he paid for it. Mm -hmm. But if the next guy pays the 60 or 70 it should have cost, and well, it's, this guy bought it for 103. Dude, show me another one. You know, that, That's one of those weird outliers. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of like right on the other side of that, uh, that wall uh, in the room that you first walked into, there was that salmon-colored, I think, 76, 930 with no tail. And it was yeah. a one of one car and had salmon colored carpet in it. It was one of those where you open it up and you go, it's clean, it's in great shape, but wow. Yeah, it's like, it's, and it's really, really hard to look at. And a couple of my friends were like, isn't it great? I'm like, you know, if I want a turbo, I want, a, I want the tail. I mean, that's, that's the, I, that, that's the yeah. iconic part of that car. Uh, when Jeff Swartz shot those new, he shot them from the right rear three quarter because of the tail, you know? Mm -hmm. And that because it was so dramatic, you always see the profile of the car. The Ludwigsen book on those things it shows the tail, and uh, and it's a profile view of the car with the tail. That's what makes the car. Uh, but beyond that, the colors is just I was like, oh, that's you gotta really it was be. it was a different color. Uh, it was not so bad to be off putting. Of course, I'm colorblind, so you know what do <laughs> I know? But I thought it was a good looking car. I thought it was pretty and I didn't really mind the carpet, but it was one of those where certainly it, you'd get it home and one of your buddies would say, what were you thinking? Yeah, and, exactly. And, and then, yeah, whatever. But, you know, I, don't get, I don't get the 911 SCs that are selling for sixty and $70,000 either and for just driver cars. And, I mean, I bought my last SC for 16. I bought my last Carrera for 14. I sold my Carrera to David Wallens at Grassroots, who still owns yeah, it. Yeah, for years you could own an SC almost free. They were nothing. Uh, they were easy to have. Now you can't touch anything. Well, the only one that's affordable right now, which is really weird, and I and buy these right now, everyone, buy them right now, is the 1983 SC Cabrio. Yeah. You can see 
35 on a stellar car, and it's the lowest production of all of them. And I do not understand what those call. You know, well, Porsche guys don't like convertible roofs. Well, they sure built a hell of a lot of. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and and the only affordable 911s right now are cabrios, uh, and the only affordable air cooled is that 83. All right, rumor has it you've got a new job, Mister. Uh, you already had 11 jobs. I'm not sure you needed another one, but tell us what. Tell us about your new job. Yeah, well, I came out of Amelia, and I was representing the car for the museum up here, and they were looking for a collections manager, and they talked to everybody else. They talked to a bunch of different people to do that. Uh, and when I got home on Monday, I was, I was there. I just kind of I just collapsed. And on Tuesday, uh, Tim Seneford, who is the GM over there, called me of, of, the, of the museum as well as Motorland Classic Cars because they're on, both on site. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, we wanted to have, I wanted to have a conversation. Do you have time for a conversation? I said, sure. You know, thinking that, you know, it's an insurance question or the car's on its way or whatever else. And because uh, I insure the place too. And he goes, well, we realized that, you know, we talked to all these people and they're really nice, but we realized we already have a collections manager that we'd like to hire. And I went, okay, you know, who's that? And he goes, the problem is, you know, he goes, we'd like to have you do it. And I said, well, he's like, well, here's the thing. We need about 60 hours a month, and can you spend like 35 it up in Maine once a week, a week a month? And I said, I, t- I said, well, let me let me check. So I talked to my wife, and I said, so they want me to be the collections manager in this collection up in Maine, but I'm going to be gone a week a month. And she's like, you should do that. <laughs> you should get the hell out of my yeah, house. You should leave. <laughs> she said you can't do two weeks. I don't have like boxes and boxes of like books and auction catalogs and motorcycle parts at the front porch with a tent saying, you know, better get yourself a U-Haul on Saturday <laughs> uh, and get these cars out of my garage and those motorcycles out of my shed. Um, but uh, no. And so I took it and I, I told them initially, I said, so here's the thing. And it happened today. I was in this five-hour, four-hour meeting just because this is my second, my first, second day on the job up here, officially. And I'm in this like three-hour meeting to plan things. And I said, "So here's the thing: if one of my insurance clients calls me, I got to answer the phone because that—that's something's going on." They said, "No sweat." I said, "I mean, I would have to drop everything and answer the phone." They said, "No sweat." So lo and behold, second hour of the meeting, one of my guy calls me and he goes, "Hey, I just got this car I ordered, blah blah blah, from England." I said, "Great." I said, Tim, I got to go. You know what? Be back in 10 minutes. So I got that guy and I have my laptop and I'm insuring him on the on my lap for this new car that he just got that put that I had to do a whole Haggerty right because he moves him into private client services and all that stuff. So I add because it raises the value. It's like this $350,000 thing. So I said, great. So no sweat. Hour later, uh, uh, another client of mine, a really great guy in Monterey calls me. He goes, hey, I bought that Ducati. I said, what Ducati? He goes, a Super Ligera. I said, Oh, one of those. <laughs> oh, yeah, go, yeah, it's one of 500 in the world. It's 120,000 bucks. He goes, yeah. He goes, okay. Hold on a sec, Tim. I got to deal with this. And so I'm like, add this bike. This is the value. Here's the thing. And so so far it's working. It's interesting. I've got to write a story tomorrow for, I also write for Wayne Carini's for the Chase magazine. So I got to write a story on auction previews for the Chase for May, end of May auction previews. So I got to do that tomorrow night from here, which is fine uh, for Russ Rockneck and those guys, which is, if you haven't seen that, it used to be called Mesh and now it's called The Chase and it's the same wonderful magazine. Uh, and then I've got stories for Dirk at, at, at Tazio to do here shortly as well. So it's interesting. You're a busy man. Yeah. But yeah, it's been really, really fun. So that's, they just offered it to me. And I thought, hey, this is a really cool thing. And it, kind of rounds out things, you know, it's like that one other, I was, I've been looking for another interesting thing within the hobby to kind of round things out for a while. And this is, this turned out to be the right opportunity. So I'm wondering if your wife is renting out your room one week a month. She probably is. Yeah. She's really, she's an MBA. She's I'm going to look at Airbnb. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, but no, yeah, it's, it, it's been really an interesting experience and it's, and the thing is, I realize I know all this stuff and that's what I didn't know. And, you know, I've got, I'm putting together a database for the collection because there isn't one as a spreadsheet. I'm like, no, 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 no. We've got 90 some cars. We need to put together a database for this and, and of status of where things are, what the provenance is and, you know, all this stuff. And it's been kind of, 
it's been it's all there, but it's all kind of everywhere. So uh, I just kind of approached it like I would any kind of a like my old when I was an old web project manager or project manager at AOL. I said, here's what we need to do. Here's the game plan, and everybody's and I've got great staff on board. We've got a bunch of young kids that work with us that are they're not kids; they're in their twenties, but they're young, and they're they're been they've been phenomenal and they're so enthusiastic. When everybody tells me, oh, the young kids don't care about the car hobby, thinking, yeah, that's not true. That's yeah, not I would, true. I think most people is, did you go to the Amelia Island Saturday then? Because <laughs> I saw them all there. Yeah, if if they weren't caring, if younger generations didn't care about this, we wouldn't have anything driving the market right now. Yes, and that's who's driving it. These are younger, newer collectors buying, yeah. spending money on stuff. Yeah, wow. they are. They absolutely are. And I'm thrilled to see it. Yeah, amen. Andy, thank you so much for being with us. We've been speaking with Andy Reed. Uh, he writes for Grassroots, Grassroots Motorsports, Racer, Vintage Motorsport Magazine, Jaguar World, Haggerty Online, just everybody under the sun. We always love having you on. And uh, I really, I, I, the, my only regret is you didn't give John more crap. Well, it's just such a target, right? I mean, I almost feel bad. It's like kicking a three-legged dog. It's just, it's just oh. not okay. I mean, oh. Andy, thank you so much for being on. We appreciate it. We'll have all of Andy's social media links on readthedriven.com. And uh, call your buddy John. Tell him you're going to get even with him. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. Oh, I can't believe all the stuff he gave us to talk to Johnny Sack about. Oh, there's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. I think there's some stories that aren't going to make the show. <laughs> <laughs> we love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and listen everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Corey Pratt yep. and Mr. Mark Groves. Yo. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio.